0: What would you do if your child started hearing chanting in her head that said, Die, die, die? My guest, Pam Hutchings, shares a 10 month ordeal with her daughter, Taryn, that was nothing short of a nightmare. Hey there, I'm Lisa, and this is Rising Strong Mental Health and Resilience, where we dive into stories of adversity, overcoming, and hope. You don't want to miss this episode. Now, let's get started about a month ago i came across teen talks yxe instagram account it's a youth mental health awareness platform and peer support group co-founded by a mother and daughter team taryn and pam hutchings pam had posted an instagram live post that pulled at my heartstrings she is a former mobile crisis counselor and social worker who is now speaking up about mental health and has created a nonprofit to help support teens. Welcome to the show, Pam. Thank you so much, Lisa. It's a pleasure to be here. You've had quite a journey with your daughter, Taryn. Can you tell us about your daughter and life leading up to her mental health struggles? Yes, it has been
1: quite an adventurous last year. Um so prior to July 31st, 2022, which was the day our lives changed forever, Taryn was a very high functioning typical teenager. She had just graduated from grade 8. She was actually the valedictorian in her Sage class, which is a gifted learners program in Saskatoon. She was winning dance competitions piano awards, was busy babysitting. She just loves kids. She had a little part-time job. She was a junior instructor at her dance studio. And in my opinion, she was a thriving teen.
0: Tell us what started happening with Taryn's mental health.
1: So Taryn had been struggling for a little bit of time with some Low grade anxiety. She had been seeing a counselor kind of as a proactive measure since um, her, you know, she had been through a a child of divorce. And I just thought, hey, let's get on top of this and get her starting to see someone so she gets used to um, the therapeutic relationship. So she had started to see a counselor to learn some strategies to help manage some of her anxiety. And she had started on a very low dose of SSRIs to kind of help increase some of that support. Um, through our through our g p, and so she was just kind of managing really well though it was not something that impacted her daily activities. We didn't really talk a lot about it because it it just wasn't something we thought was a that much of an issue um until july thirty first of twenty twenty two What happened then? Well, that was the day that we were on a family camping trip, and we were up at shell lake we had little cabins booked and we had a really awesome day on the beach and my whole family was up there my brothers and my nieces and Taryn had called me into the cabin in the evening that night um saying she needed to talk to me but we had kind of been arguing a little bit throughout the day which I thought was just typical teenage stuff and I said no I'm around the campfire I have a drink I'm cozy I just come talk to me here um and then a few minutes later, she came back to the window and asked her grandma to come in. And so my mom went, of course, as grandmas do. And um, then my mom came to the window and was like, Ma, uh, no, Pam, you you need to come inside. So I went inside and I sat down between the two of them. And I I guess my mom could visually see me switch into crisis worker mode because at the time I worked at Mobile Crisis and I um, I performed many suicide assessments. And and Taryn proceeded to tell me that she felt suicidal and that she had almost taken the whole bottle of anxiety medication that she had brought with us. So that was the first time that she had ever mentioned wanting to harm herself in any way or anything about suicide. I have been very open as a parent with both my kids, talking about mental health, talking explicitly about suicide, um, being that that's what I did as for my profession, I made sure that that was a conversation we were ongoing having at home. and um, but it was still such a shock hearing from your own child that these were the thoughts that she was having. From there, we came back home the next day, and symptoms continued to evolve. Taryn admitted to me that it wasn't her feeling suicidal, she was actually having that were kind of chanting. And she describes it as a choir. Um, die, die, die over and over. And plans of suicide were just being thrown at her. And so at that point, we knew, okay, we we better head to the hospital because this is this is something I haven't dealt with in in my field ever. Um, I've dealt with a lot of folks that were having hallucinations, but usually substance induced or due to higher level psychiatric concerns. So I had never seen something like this present in a youth, um, totally organically. So in we went. It was a very long first stay there in what we've now coined the death room, which is just essentially like you see on the TV, a completely white, empty room with a bed in the middle. Um, Of course, meant to keep folks safe. But when you spend 12, 15 plus hours in there, it's almost psychologically damaging. And Taryn started on a very heavy dose of medications, and we went home. And from there on, that began the 10 months-ish of cyclical readmissions and presenting to ER. Um, Taryn was admitted nine different times into the Dubai Over the following months, she spent 90-plus days in hospital, in and out, in and out, and symptoms continued to morph and evolve. And so it was really difficult to figure out what the heck was going on. How did you get those answers? on with my girl. A lot of persistence, a lot of questions. I just kept feeling like, how come I can't find anything similar to this on the internet? I love research. So I really dove into um, the world wide web and tried to find a case study or an example of another kid that was presenting with these symptoms. And, And initially she had been diagnosed with anxiety and OCD and our psychiatry team was saying that this hallucination was happening because of OCD. So I tried to find something similar and I couldn't. And so I just kept feeling like we're missing uh, a piece of the puzzle. And eventually around Christmas time, after being in the hospital multiple times already, um, they came up with a new diagnosis of functional neurological disorder, which is incredibly difficult to diagnose and incredibly difficult to explain and understand. And from there, we still weren't really sure how to actually help her. Where could we get the actual supports to help? And so we continued the search.
0: <laughs> Those 10 months must have just been agony for all of you.
1: It was difficult. It it kind of now looking back sort of feels almost like an out-of-body experience because it just lasted so long. And I remember after a f- couple of months, I was on the phone with her psychiatrist who became <laughs> one of my support people because I would phone in so regularly trying to keep Taryn home. And then like, I would consult with her and she would we would come to the decision, no, you better bring her back in now. And so one day I remember being on the phone with her and I was just like, this is like three months already. What are we going to do? How can we carry on? And she said, you know, Pam, I hate to say this to you, but in the scheme of a mental health diagnosis or crisis, whatever you want to call it, this isn't that long. Like sometimes it can last about a year, or some people take many, many years before they have proper diagnoses and and you know medication regimen and and stabilization. And uh, I remember feeling really shattered in that moment. Like uh, you know, we barely have survived three months. How are we going to survive longer? Wow.
0: Mm-hmm. So what has this done? to your mental health? Like you've said, you've worked in the field of of crisis intervention. I believe you're a a social worker by trade. Yeah. But even though you've got those professional skills, when it comes to your own child, it's a totally different ballgame. How are you coping with your own mental health while supporting your daughter?
1: Yeah, it is very different when it's your own family member. That is for sure. Nothing I don't think is worse than having a sick child where you feel helpless that you can't do anything to help. And at the beginning, I think I was I did okay for the first few months other than a lot of emotion, which normally I'm very good at compartmentalizing. And that's what made me a good crisis worker. I could kind of flick a switch and be in the moment and stay calm and unemotional so that I could support whoever I needed to that was you know going through the actual crisis and for me I couldn't compartmentalize anymore and so I had a lot of emotions which really for the first time in in my adult life I just allowed to come um, because I couldn't stop them so there were many times I would be All different places in my daily life, either the hospital or driving or the gas station or wherever, and just the tears would be flowing and I could not, I couldn't keep them in. And I remember feeling a little bit of shame about that because I'm not a crier. It's just not something that necessarily comes naturally to me. And I appreciate it and I realize that it's something that your body needs to do, but it just hasn't been something I've done. So this year I've cried more tears than I have in my entire life and I've had a lot of life to live <laughs> so far. So I definitely hit rock bottom. I definitely did not want to get out of bed many days. I didn't know how I would carry on. However, I have another child that I was trying to support and keep living a semi-regular routine life. So I didn't have
0: a choice as, as mothers do and we know we have to just carry on. Yeah, you're not kidding about that. And I know mm-hmm. with everything that we've gone through, I thank my, my lucky stars that I did have another child because he's the reason that I put my feet on the floor every single day for the first year That's of great. our journey. And as parents, we just feel we have a job to do and we have to continue mm-hmm. being a parent. We get so busy taking care of everyone else that sometimes we're not so great at taking care of ourselves.
1: Totally I definitely knew that my entire being emotionally physically spiritually mentally was um, not even on the back burner so to speak it was it was not even in the oven or on the stove mm-hmm. at all i I just had to pause caring for myself in every way which is not what people say you People always remind you, you have to take care of yourself to give, you know, so you can't give from an empty cup. And I preach those things as well. But this was a unique situation that was so all encompassing. I was Taryn's caregiver 24 7. uh, And when she was in the hospital, people would ask me, you know, is it easier when she's there? Because at least you know she's safe. And the answer is no. (laughs) It's never easy to have a, a child in the hospital navigating the medical system and the care that she was receiving or not receiving, and then trying to keep. Your life running outside for your other child or children. It was it was equally as impossible.
0: It sounds like a nightmare all around. Honestly,
1: yeah, one hundred percent. That is the only way to describe it.
0: So, at some point in your journey, you and Taryn started thinking about creating a peer support group for teens, which is obviously so so needed. Can you tell us about the nonprofit that you've created together? Absolutely.
1: About two months after Taryn's crisis started, I had been posting on Facebook for our immediate kind of friends and family to stay in the know because I didn't have the emotional or mental capacity to be messaging people individually. So I thought, hey, I'm just going to share it on my private, you know, socials, so that our close circle can stay supporting us and following us. And, um, but we still felt so alone despite having a huge support network of incredible family members and friends that were walked through this entire year with us. We hadn't heard of or didn't know anyone in our social circles that had been through something so extreme. And so, that leaves you feeling alone because you can't relate to anyone. Nobody knows what it's like to have your child constantly trying to kill herself, essentially. And so we were sitting in the psychiatrist waiting room one day and it just kind of came to me, I was like, you know, why don't we create this community that we are desperately longing for? And I asked Karen how she felt about being an advocate and a trailblazer and and sharing her story openly and letting other people know that they're not alone in their struggle. And she's been that kid right from little where she always wants to help people. She always wants to advocate and do the right thing. So she was so on board and maybe she wasn't necessarily in the best, clearest headspace to make those type of decisions, but there's been no regrets at all along the way. So we just decided, okay, let's let's put it out there what we're going through. And so we did. We started just on Instagram, on social media, and the unbelievable outpouring of love and support from a virtual community of essentially strangers at the beginning was incredible. It it gives me goosebumps now to think back because I had mums and and caregivers reaching out to me saying, "Me to us too our family has been at the dubai on christmas day we've done it too and hearing that and feeling connected to others that have walked a similar path was so uplifting
0: and it just gave me strength right you know, I think when we're going through the worst of the worst, it is the most lonely place to be. And did you find that when other people said, hey, us too, we're struggling too, that that the load didn't feel quite so heavy on your shoulders?
1: Absolutely. Yeah, to know that others had walked a path like ours and come out the other side and navigated the system and have just felt that same feeling that I had having my child in the hospital over Christmas or Christmas was really the most impactful time because it's such a special holiday. Um, But it, yeah, it definitely made me feel a little bit lighter. And like I said,
0: propped up a little, like I had a support system behind me. Right. People you could reach out to. So then you Mm. decided to create this nonprofit. Give us an idea of what that looks like. Absolutely. So we started actually with the
1: Instagram, which grew into our first peer support sharing circle for youth. We had it in our living room. So there was Taryn and her bestie that she dragged along and one other person. And we have hosted a youth sharing circle once a month for over a year now. Every month we change to a different venue where the teens get to enjoy a cool activity. Uh, We have drinks and snacks, and then we have a very much peer-led sharing. circle. So, um, the teens continue to come back. New ones keep coming. And it's just been growing and blossoming. And it's, it is an incredible experience to be able to have the privilege of facilitating that and watching these youth openly share about their struggles and their triumphs and their joys and their hard times and be so vulnerable with each other and then support each other. It's, it's really quite magical. And since then, we've grown into hosting a parent slash caregiver sharing circle, the feedback was, well, what about us? We had some feedback from parents that they also wanted to have a peer support group that was a little bit unique from what else is offered out out there. There are a lot of really lovely support groups in existence. Often you have to pay a fee. Often you have to sign up for X amount of weeks. So we wanted to remove those barriers. And both of our support groups are completely free and are drop-in style. The parent slash caregiver one is a pilot project with Saskatoon Public Library. So we're hosting it in, at one of their libraries every month. And we've had three so far. And it's been really incredible to connect with other parents that are walking on a path that you are. And Again, you can say things in a very raw and real way and not be scared of the other person's reaction because these are folks that get it, that have been there. Mm. And that's just a blessing.
0: If you're loving the show, I want to hear your feedback. Take a screenshot showing your five-star rating and that you're subscribed to us on Apple Podcast or are following us on Spotify. Then head over to the Rising Strong Podcast Facebook page. Hit the message button and send it my way. You'll be entered to win some Rising Strong swag. I will draw one name at the end of each month. Good luck and thanks for listening. So, to give us just some context, how on average, how many teens are showing up and how many caregivers are showing up? Yeah, so we've continued to
1: grow and on average, depending on what the activity is, because we try to have a broad spectrum of activity, so it appeals to all different types of um, interests. We usually have between nine and 15 youth, and we've been having around 10 uh, parents or caregivers at the monthly ones for them. And so that's that's incredible. We we set out with a mission to help even just one person, <laughs> so mm-hmm. we feel really blessed that people are wanting to join our space. And
0: those numbers clearly reflect the need for this kind of thing.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. So we're, we're also hosting a um, youth mental wellness retreat in the beginning of January. It's going to be our first one. And we have quite a few participants signed up for that as well. So it'll be for youth that are impacted by mental health. And we're just going to really provide them with an amazing experience to have some therapeutic sessions in group sessions, do some skill building with social skills and life skills, and outings and it's just going to be a really amazing time.
0: That sounds fantastic. How has this project helped Taryn do you think?
1: Um, Taryn shares openly about how the sharing circles have been a place of comfort and safety for her. Uh, She lost a lot of friends throughout this last year. You know it's really hard to continue supporting someone for months and months and months. It's hard as adults, let alone as teenagers, to know what to say and to know what to how to be there for someone. So she, she felt like her relationships and a lot of different dynamics there shifted. And so she was really looking for a place that offered true acceptance and understanding. And that's what she has found with the sharing circles. She loves to go. She's my little helper there. I always get her to start the sharing circle off if there's nobody else brave enough to start. And um, she thinks that the the peer support has been an incredible thing for her. That's so
0: wonderful. And how has it helped you doing these projects?
1: Well, at the beginning, um, I was sort of sharing a lot about what we were going through, sort of like the the play by play. And for me, it was such a therapeutic process because I love to write. And so I remember many times writing the posts before bed as a way to sort of just get it out of my brain and onto the paper. And so the process of writing was incredibly therapeutic. And then the process of connecting with parents and caregivers and other youth that have uh, supported what we're doing, encouraged us to carry on, encouraged us in our own personal mental health journey, um, has just been so validating that we are on the right path and that yes, yes, more supports are always needed mental health is becoming has been becoming for quite some time um a huge concern and especially with our adolescent demographic and so the more supports we can
0: give them the better i agree we have just come out of one pandemic and we're heading straight into the other if we're not there already and that's the mental health crisis yes yes absolutely Now, I only know and have only experienced my mental health struggles as an adult. Started at 23, and it's been ongoing for me. So I only know that part of it. Can you explain to us what the differences are between youth mental health and adult mental health? Mm -hmm.
1: So according to Youth Mental Health Canada, 70% of mental health problems have their onset during childhood or adolescence. And young people aged 15 to 24 are more likely to experience mental illness and or substance use disorders than any other age group. So there's just two quick statistics about why the youth demographic is experiencing more changes and more challenges in the mental health
0: field. That is so interesting. It makes a lot of sense too.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Hormones are changing. Brains are developing. There's so many factors going on. And a lot of youth still feel that shame and stigma, as I'm sure adults do. But at least with an adult, you have the developed prefrontal cortex and the logic and reasoning skills to be able to work your way through some of that shame. Not that it's not there and not experienced, but we do have a little bit more skill to be able to navigate that. With a youth... And the level of development that their brains are at, it's even more challenging to be able to navigate having a mental health issue and continuing to try to thrive despite it.
0: Do you think COVID really threw a wrench into things for our youth today? Mm -hmm. 1000%.
1: I truly believe that we have not even seen the long term implications of what a two year or three year complete social isolation um, setback really did to those youth in that developing stage.
0: It's, It's affected all aspects of everyone's lives, but I think that particular age group, you know, 13 through 21 was particularly affected. In the new year, you are launching yet another project, the PJ Project. Can you tell us more about that? Yes and we're so
1: excited about this one. Taryn came up with this PJ project all on her own and it's kind of her baby. So Taryn wasn't able to keep herself safe in the Dubai, despite it being a very safe environment and as a consequence of that she was asked to put on hospital pajamas and she remembers that moment feeling like the last shred of Taryn disappeared. So she wants to give back to other youth that are in the dubai, and her idea was that we would get everyone a new pair of cozy comfy pajamas because who doesn't love pajamas the ones that are there are itchy and see-through and very generic and so we met with the director and the manager and kind of pitched the idea and they supported it so our goal now is to have 300 pairs of pajamas ready to go by middle of January, hopefully, to support every new patient that's admitted into the Dubay Youth Unit.
0: I love this for so many reasons. How can people help support this great project? Because I know that listeners are going to want to reach out and help. You can head to our website www.ttyxe.ca
1: and you can actually purchase a PJ package right there. We will do all the work. We will do the shopping and the packaging for you another option is you can purchase pajamas that you find on your own there are some restrictions that apply for safety and the third option is you could host a pj drive at either your school or your business and then arrange to drop them off and we will take care of all the packaging and delivering them to the duvet
0: love 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 this And I just want to say that uh, we love to do a special project around our daughter's angel anniversary, which is coming up on December 8th. And I'm just going to tell you right now that we are going to be purchasing some pajamas in her memory. I think that this is just an awesome, awesome project. That is so amazing. Thank you, Lisa. That's very special. My pleasure, really and truly. I know Katie would love to do this. Oh, How can parents best support their teens who might be struggling?
1: This is a very important message that we are trying to really hammer home. You have to start the conversation with your youth and then don't stop. Don't ask them about it all the time, but don't just let it be one of those one-off conversations. You check in and you talk about their mental health for a couple of minutes and then you're good. You expect them to come to you because that's not the case. Taryn knew very well what I did for work. She knew mobile crisis was a place she could reach out to 24-7 if she was in crisis. And months after her initial hospital stays, I had asked Taryn, if you didn't feel comfortable talking to myself or to your grandma, who would you have reached out to? And she's like, I have no idea. So even a kid that has been told where to reach out to doesn't always think of it in the moment. And, and unfortunately, a lot of people don't necessarily have good support systems at home. So if you're a caregiver of someone that's a youth, and it's your job to be checking in with them, it's your job to be asking how they're doing. And if they're telling you that they're struggling, please take it seriously. Get them some support. There's free counseling options out there nowadays there's school counselors that are there to support them there's peer support groups like what we have just just listen non-judgmentally listen to validate their experience and their feelings not to fix and not to provide solutions it's so innate as a parent to want to immediately fix and help and i've been there too and i've been really intentionally working just to listen and say oh yeah that is really tough and that's it They don't sometimes need a solution in the moment. They just want to know that what they're feeling is okay and that someone is there to support them through it. And youth are grappling for their autonomy, right? They just want that sense of control in some way, shape, or form. So the second that we even provide them a solution, even if it is the exact thing that's going to fix the problem, the approach is so crucial and the delivery you know give them options and and take them seriously if they say they they need some help um we're hearing some feedback that uh with some of the youth we support that sometimes the parents are just saying oh it's just some anxiety or oh it's just whatever you're just struggling you'll be okay and and likely due to the shame and stigma still attached to the invisible disease or invisible disorders uh, we don't want to accept that. Maybe it is something more, and maybe we should just look into it. It's there's youth that are dying by suicide
0: at a monumental rate, and we need to be there for them if they're asking for help. I couldn't agree more. If your child came to you and said, Mom, like I'm I'm really having a hard time walking on this leg, you take them yes. to the doctor, right? Absolutely. So what there's yeah. really not a lot of difference between mom. I'm really struggling. My mental health isn't great. Same thing. Pick up that phone and get the ball rolling and get some help.
1: Yes, 100%. That's a message I try to say to all the youth in our presentations that we go around to different schools and share is that it's no different than having a liver or a kidney or a heart that is sick and needs a little support. This is just your brain. It's a different organ. And sometimes it just needs a little extra help. That may mean going to the hospital. That may mean some medication. But you wouldn't feel ashamed if it was your liver. Mm-mm. So why do you feel ashamed if it's your brain?
0: Yeah, we've got a long ways to go on working on that stigma. That is for certain. Yeah, we sure do. How is Terrence's mental health now? She has come so
1: far in learning her self. I guess. She knows what her warning signs are. She's able to identify the ways that her body sends her message in response to different emotions, and then then she can utilize some of the skills that she has learned over this last journey to help process what she's feeling, to help ground herself and come back to the present moment, which usually helps her continue on. There has been some symptom flare-ups, we had a long road to recovery, and it was so, you know, often it feels like a setback, but we know it's not. It's just a bump in the road. So, today I'm happy to report she is a full time grade 10 student. She goes every day in person, she goes to her dance classes. She's back in regular functioning teen mode and is doing exceptional considering where she's come from this year. I'm so happy to hear that.
0: And how are you doing, Pam?
1: I am finally finding some room to breathe a little bit and to focus a little bit more on my health. Um, I know that my my physical and mental health definitely took a hit this last year So, and I also know what I need to do to get myself back on track. So I'm prioritizing myself now and my health despite how busy we are and how chaotic our stage of life is at. I know that I need to take care of myself
0: so that I can show up as my best self. Exactly, because if we don't, we crash and burn eventually, yeah, I've learned that one the hard way, <laughs>
1: absolutely, and we seem to have to relearn it over and over. at least I do.
0: no, definitely, I can definitely relate to that. <laughs> so what does resilience mean to you?
1: I absolutely love this word. I just think it's such a beautiful word and 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 something I've learned over the last few years is that resiliency is not something that you're born with. It's a skill. It's something you can grow and stretch and, and learn. And And to me, it's really the capacity to respond, adapt, endure, flourish, despite having hardships and challenges that are part of the human experience. We're all going to go through difficult times. And your resiliency is is your ability to evolve into whatever you need to, to get through that experience and to
0: become a better person on the other side. Exactly. I think of it like a muscle at the beginning of, of our lives and our journey and our teen years, really that muscle sometimes isn't always that strong, but every mm-hmm. time we fall and every time we get up, it gets stronger and yes. we get stronger. So I think it's uh it is something that can be built. Mm-hmm. How do you think Taryn has become more resilient as a result of her journey in the past few years? So after going
1: through something as challenging and complex as her last year as a 15-year-old girl, I think it's built in a deep sense of self-confidence. Not in the way where she walks around thinking, oh yeah, I'm all that. In a way that she knows she can survive whatever life throws at her because life will continue to throw things that's what life does but i think she just knows now being through something so hard and so challenging that she can do it she has the skills and she also has um you know she relies on her faith and she has different tools that help her get through tough times so i think that's something that has helped build that resiliency muscle and she also knows that after being on kind of the other side of the crisis that things happen for a reason and they will end up working out and and if you're able to see it there's usually going to be some good that comes from that and I think she's now she now knows that and, and that's going to be a valuable tool for her to get through the future
0: challenges that will inevitably come inevitably yeah sad but true right yeah and how have you become more resilient? I've had to overcome
1: a fair share of challenges throughout many, many different chapters in my life, but this experience hands down tops them all. I just, I had never been to such a dark, low place that seemed to last forever. I am usually a pretty positive person and can see the light at the end of the tunnel and um, there was no light. I, I felt like I could not see any light at all. And I, I really reached an absolute breaking point where I didn't know how I would be able to survive an, another minute, which really forced me to lean on my faith and my belief in God and to help me endure circumstances long as, after my capacity as a human had expired. And I, I think I gained a lot of valuable tools alongside Taryn, learning with her and unlearning with her. And yeah, just... Just recognizing that there is always a way. Things could get really, really hard and really, really dark, but there is going to be a light that will come back at that end of that tunnel.
0: I know it's such a cheesy saying, but I I believe it to be true, and that is that we're stronger than we think we are. If you say, you have been to hell and back, I have been to hell and back, and Mm -hmm. somehow we are still here. Here we are. Still doing our thing, finding our way and helping other people along the way, which mm-hmm. is such a beautiful thing. And I absolutely adore the work that you and your daughter are doing and that you're doing it together. It's just such a beautiful thing.
1: Thank you. It is really an incredible experience to be able to do that together. We actually got to have our first school presentation and do it together last week. And it was, it was an amazing experience. And I'm
0: just so, so proud of her. That girl has such a bright future ahead of her. Where is the best place for people to contact you with questions or follow you on social media? You can head over to our website,
1: www.ttyxc.ca. You can connect with us there through email. Or you can get social with us on Instagram, Facebook, or LinkedIn. And our handle is teens underscore talk We would love to connect with everybody, so please don't be shy and send us a message.
0: Pam, you are such an inspiration. Thank you so, so much for being here today. I can't wait to see what the two of you do. Oh, Thank you, Lisa.
1: I appreciate it, and I feel the same way about you.
0: Did you know that I now offer one-on-one resilience and well-being coaching? I want you to do the things that you love. I want you to get off the hamster wheel and feel like you're in control again. I'm going to show you how to decrease feelings of overwhelm, help you get more organized, find better work-life balance, and create time for your goals and passions. If this sounds interesting, I want you to book a call today and learn how I can help you. Go to Bitly slash rising strong discovery call. That's bit.ly forward slash rising strong discovery call. I can't wait to get you off the hamster wheel and doing the things that you love most.